Hi, it's Kelly Sterling. Thank you for listening to the Talking About Midlife podcast. Today, I'm talking to Carla Cravaro about the concept of the forgotten father. Carla is a sex love relationship coach who works with both men and women to achieve their goals in delicious sex, profound love and authentic relationships. She creates awareness around men's transition into parenthood, where they can feel isolated, rejected and miss intimacy with their partner. And she's named this phenomenon the forgotten father. This is a really, really important transition that's not really been well supported, if at all, in most communities that we live in. And we know that the transition to parenthood is really challenging for most all of us. So this is one of the first male-focused podcasts that I've done. And in this podcast, we've centred it around the cisgendered heterosexual relationship dynamic, really because that's where we generally work, not always, but generally, and where we see the forgotten father issue pop up the most. Gender orientation and sexual orientation are on a spectrum, as we all know. So even if you're not in this cis-hetero dynamic, I think you'll probably find this conversation interesting because we're talking about family systems and patterns of interaction, dynamics at play. And whilst it's not generally gender-related, it can be, these patterns can pop up in any combination of an intimate relationship. Many fathers experience a lot of emotional distress and they can experience trauma in the birth process as well and it really impacts on their transition into fatherhood. So I hope you listen to this podcast and you find it really insightful and helpful. And just to let you know that we did have a really average Wi-Fi connection, so at times it might seem like we were talking over the top of each other. We weren't. We were just a little bit lagged. Hope that you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hi, Carla. How are you? Hi. Yeah, I'm really well. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks. How are you? I'm very well. So it's your morning and my evening. Thanks for um, joining me today to talk about fathers, which is a really important transition, becoming a father, isn't it? And it's one that um, I think just is really, well, for both parents, really poorly supported. I reckon what would be really useful is tell us a little bit about you. So you're a sex love relationship coach, but what Mm -hmm. has been your journey? Yeah. um, How did you get to where you are now? That's what I find really interesting about most of us. Yeah, because I think actually the genuine will explain to a certain aspect why I'm sort of here creating self-awareness around fathers, actually. So Mm. that's probably a good place to start. Um, yeah, so a few years ago, I was um, suffering from um, anxiety and intrusive thoughts, and I was really um, experienced a lot of um, problems around that. And my husband and I were in a mother and son dynamic um, quite heavily in that. So what that means is that I had taken on all of the mental load, I'd taken on all of the chores around the house. 
Um, I was taking responsibility for everything and everybody else's well-being and happiness. And, you know, when my husband did anything, he was highly criticized by me and, um, you know, lots of finger pointing and nothing was ever good enough. And, you know, he was in a way, I suppose you could say like a free state because he wanted to help. But when he did, he got it wrong. And, you know, and then I'd get more frustrated because he wasn't using his initiative. And we had created this sort of dynamic between um, the two of us. And, you know, what happened was um, I ended up going on a retreat, a women's retreat, um, sat around um, spending the weekend with women. And I really got to explore how to move on from my situation because I was in quite a lot of um, emotional pain, I would say, because, I, you know, we, as parents, we were doing um, conscious parenting, attachment style parenting. So we were very much aware of how our childhoods had affected us as adults. And we obviously were working towards not creating that situation for our children. So, and the thing is what that brought up for me was, you know, a real analysis of the past. And it did keep me quite stuck there almost, sort Mm. of blaming everything that had happened and why I was the way I was. And I just remember when I went on retreat, you know, just literally the day before saying to my husband, I want to change I want to move forward I'm just so blocked I can't I can't cope anymore you know the overwhelm and the anxiety is just um just too much and I went on retreat and I was introduced to um really simple concepts I hadn't heard about before like boundaries um Mm. like I'd never I'd literally never heard of them um and we did inner child work and as a mother one that was really significant for my own sort of the beginning part of my transformation was forgiveness because I think as mothers we tend to carry a lot of guilt you know for the time that we shout maybe yeah. if we've advocated better for our children in this situation so so yeah so forgiveness and um, I was given lots of other tools as well that I could use when I went back home and that's where sort of my self-development journey started in a way um, mm. and during that time because I was making changes to my own behavior Obviously, my husband was responding to those changes as well. So I changed the way that I spoke to him. I started placing boundaries. So, for example, when he came back from work, I wouldn't let him just offload his day on me without checking, first of all, how I was. Because he'd be coming home when I would be making the evening meal and I'd have two small children also asking me lots of things. and It would all be going off. And then I'd have like another person just, you know, piling it on me. And it was just. That's constantly the overwhelm. Yeah. Yeah. So learning to just say, you know, um, if you want to tell me about your day, I'm more than welcome to listen to it when I'm sat down eating. But right now I can't hold space for that. Mm. So, you know, and these things don't happen overnight. It took a few times of me placing that boundary before my husband sort of um, adapted his behavior to it as well. And and this was sort of like a gradual. Did he, I mean, I'm curious when you, started behaving differently because we have these patterns of interaction like it's a system so like what was his reaction when you started doing this so um uh it depends it depended on on the situation so obviously the fact that I um would de-escalate problems so if he started you know because before I'd get really stressed out and I'd raise my voice and then he'd raise his voice and, that, and I'd raise yeah. mine even more and, and it would just be trigger, trigger, trigger. Um, but then, you know, there'd be a situation, I'd take a breath and I'd be very mindful of the words that I use and how I spoke. And initially what would happen is because he was also so used to the way that I spoke to him, his reaction automatically when I started talking to him 
was one of defense. So for example, mm. I would ask a simple question, like, have you done the dishwasher? Literally just to know if we'd done the dishwasher. Previously, that question from me would be a loaded question of, have you done the dishwasher? I bet you haven't because mm. I'm always the one that mm. does it. So, you know, just a simple question, because he was so used to my behavior, my previous behavior, he would take that as an attack and immediately be on the defense. So it required from me a lot of sort of restraint not to then snap back and say, I was just asking, you know. So, um, you know, I had to take a breath and I'd say, you know, I'm just asking a question and understand obviously that that is something that's upset you. I didn't mean anything by that. And just remain as calm as possible. So, yeah, so it, it did take some sort of time to to maneuver and, 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 and to work through it. Um, and, but, you know, we got there. Um, and one of the things that um, during that time was because I was noticing the change in myself, I was like, okay, I want to do something where I can help other mothers in the, in the mm. same way. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I want to, to do coaching because I'd done lots of talking about the past and that mm. just felt for me personally, kept me stuck. Mm. I wanted something that's going to take me forward. So that's why I thought, okay, I'll go and learn some coaching skills. And, you know, my husband and I, our relationship was really getting back on track. And I thought, you know, the sex could be better. How? I don't really know. Like, I don't know what that means, but I just know that there's something more that can happen there. Mm. Um, and someone was doing some training uh, to be a sex love and relationship coach. And I said, oh, I, I'll go and do that because <laughs> I've got the skills to be a coach. And then I'll have the skills that I can improve my sex life, but I am not going to be a sex and relationship coach. You know, that's, that's just not me. I don't, I don't identify with that at all. And then, you know, sort of three, four months into the training itself, uncovering all, you know, my conditioning, because um, I'm brought up Catholic with an Ital- Southern Italian heritage. Yeah. So all of those pieces, obviously, really having quite an effect on my relationships and how I looked for love and how I wanted love and how I wanted to be seen. Um, lots of self abandoning and people pleasing. Um, so yeah, uncovering all of that, I just thought to myself, goodness me, you know, women really need access to this. So initially, what happened was, you know, when I finished my training, I was initially working with. Um, women in a similar position to me in the mother and son dynamic and who um, wanted to to rebalance that and just wanted to give themselves you know some self-care and when I simply say self-care I don't mean necessarily take themselves off to the spa for a day but you know boundaries of self-care yeah, you know in, yeah. in 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 all of that and because as I was supporting women that I was writing quite a bit about men and their experiences you know I started getting people sending this information that I was writing about men to the partners in their life and they started identifying mm. with that so yeah and it's been quite an interesting journey because the the pattern seems to be really really quite similar there's there's different elements to it but the pattern is quite similar um and you know the three things that I say mostly about and I call this phenomenon the forgotten father yeah. And the three things are mainly rejection, like this feeling of being rejected, a feeling of um, isolation, as in they can't, don't have anyone they can speak to. And um, also they're missing the intimacy that they used to have. And those are the three yeah. sort of um, main elements. And that can start off when their partner gets pregnant. Mm-hmm. It can be triggered by being present at the birth, especially if they 
were afraid or frightened and they wanted to help but didn't feel they could do and just felt trapped watching everything unfold before Mm. them Mm. and then literally just having a baby there and the mother being busy with the baby is going to create those feelings of rejection isolation and, and missing the intimacy as well so yeah so that's my story and how I basically got to um to where I am and and who I'm looking to support at the moment I would say Amen. Yeah, I think, you know, as we, everyone knows, you know, a lot of men don't grow up in environments where they learn to express their emotions freely. Well, not like all of us, really, but men in particular. And that's a lot of the work that men's groups are doing and men's work. But this really takes it what you're doing to an extra level, or many levels of depth, because you're actually working on a really significant life transition which is becoming a parent and all the many different ways that that they experience that and the mother and baby get so much attention well caring for the baby gets so much attention doesn't it you know we were were talking about matrescence before we started and you know I always say I can't believe that you know this concept's been around like mothers have been around for thousands of years and this is this concept was created 30 years ago and we're just getting onto it. It's like, it's crazy. So the poor fathers, we're just starting to think about them, aren't we? Yeah. So, um, and, and this is the thing. So mothers do have access to support specifically for them if they want it. I know they do in the UK, um, mm. you know, and I'm assuming they do in Australia. So like you've Definitely. got mother and baby groups, you yeah. know, and quite often the mother and baby groups are a place for women to come together and talk about how they feel. You know, in the UK, we also have like breastfeeding groups. And, you know, when you go and, and see the health visitor, it's generally generally in a place um, where there are other parents as well between an allotted time. So you do get um, access to other mothers and you yeah. do get lots of groups that you can go to. Um, instead, for the men, it's just like they become a father. They as you were saying before, I think one of the biggest issues is that men are conditioned not to open up and have emotions and to keep everything closed in. So when they do have, you know, a partner, and obviously this dynamic that we're talking about is cisgendered heterosexual, because it's going to be different for for different um, genders and um, sexual expressions. But, you know, what happens is, when they first get with a partner, having a woman, you know, they start to relax a little. And although they might not fully be vulnerable they will talk a little bit more about how they feel and they will open up and express themselves a bit more and the thing is if you don't have a really really conscious relationship before the baby arrives and let's face it most of us don't yeah what <laughs> what happens is baby arrives and he, you know if you're in a really conscious relationship where you take responsibility for your own feelings and you can say to somebody um I feel really vulnerable right now because you know Um, I love you, I love the baby, but I'm feeling really quite lonely. And I'm just wondering if there's a way that um, my needs can be supported. You know, that would be the correct conversation to have. But most of us aren't in that situation where we can have that because, you know, the mother would likely get triggered by that because, well, what about me? I need to think of you and I need to look after you. And that would trigger loads of things in her, like a lot of feeling of overwhelm. And, you know, and I'm talking from my own personal feelings of how I felt as a mother. Absolutely, I can relate to that. And I think um, actually on my last podcast with Suzanne, she's a lactation consultant, we were talking about this. You know, you would remember like when the baby comes, you're just like myopic in your 
focus and our biology is wired, our physiology is wired to do that. And that I can imagine from a male's perspective would be quite terrifying to see that change and not consciously be aware of, you know, the patterns and how you are together and what, what just from a systemic perspective, like what is going on? Cause you've added a third person into your little family system. So I can imagine for most males in that um, dynamic, it would be a lot of, you know, maybe their attachment wounding gets triggered. What, what do you notice? Yeah, so definitely attachment, but also in a child. So the way that their, their behavior is, is very, very childlike. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the three different ways that I'm aware of and that I notice, I mean, there may be more, but these are the ones that I notice in, in the men that I work with and previously the women that I was speaking to three different ways so the first one is withdrawal and what that can look like is you know working late um working at the weekends um so um and I talk to businesses about this so it's presenteeism so you know if you have new fathers that all of a sudden are really really interested in their career likelihood is that there's a problem at home yeah so you know just bring that awareness Mm -mm. so um and then also another element of the withdrawal is you know they might not go at the weekends when they're free they might find something else to do to not spend time with their family so that you know the wife and or the partner the mother with with the child or children she may take them to the zoo for example Mm. and the partner decide the man decides not to go um because he's got something else to do he finds another job to do so he's constantly withdrawing and the you know a lot of the reason for that withdrawal can be this feeling of you know I want that closeness but I don't know how to ask for it and when I see my the, the, the mother with the children it reminds me constantly that I feel isolated and I'm alone so it's easier not to see it yeah and then you have the second one which is any attention is good attention and, mm. and what that means is and this one you know if you think back to small children when they do things that are in inverted commas naughty they're not really doing that they're doing it more to get your attention so the man in this situation might be nitpicking you know he might be critical of the decisions that she's made in parenting mm-hmm. um because he feels left out and he feels that he's not being given the attention and the option to be involved as well so mm-hmm. those you know um, that behavior means that at least I'm getting some attention even if it's not in the right way mm-hmm. and the problem is for the men that do that they can end up in the shame spiral because when it upsets their partner they feel a lot of shame. Mm. And then with that shame, you know, because they're not understanding what they've done on a conscious level, it's all mm. like unconsciously happening. They get a lot of anger and resentment because they're projecting it back onto the partner that you're making me feel shame. The yes. spiral continues and the picking continues. Yeah. Then the third one is men who it's I suppose the closest you could call it is a fawn response so they are really trying very very hard to people please they apologize for everything even if it's not their fault they completely self-abandon they don't have boundaries and these men talk about feeling really emasculated because you know and my, my husband and I were on sort of more or less that dynamic I mean the men can run through all three of those it's not necessarily that they behave in one way they can go through different ways um but yeah they um that that the the men in in that situation are feeling you know really low and emasculated um and then obviously that in itself could trigger then withdrawal or it could trigger the attention I reckon I've seen just in different people I've coached over the years probably all three 
with guys, but yeah. Before, yeah, you talked, but definitely. Yeah. And and that's the um and that's the inner child. It's the childlike part of them that comes up and you know. A, a, like a pattern that they have created from their childhood in a situation of stress or a situation where I need attention or I, I want to be seen I don't have the skills to communicate that because a lot of us aren't really taught how to ask for what we want and this is one of the things that I need to work with with men you know one of the first things is boundaries because mm. quite often they've got to set themselves in a situation where their partners aren't speaking to them in the most respectful way mm. so one of the first things to build their confidence is set boundaries and then, you know, when, once we've worked through that, the next question is, you know, what do you desire? What do you want? And they're just like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't I'm, know. Not, I'm not even sure of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a cultural conditioning issue really, isn't it, for all of us? Because uh, I actually read something, some podcast uh, post on Instagram the other day. It was something around desire and it wasn't actually to do with sexual desire, but it was, I can't remember what it was. And someone said, but, but we're told from a religious perspective to want is, you know, and I, it wasn't an Australian post, I believe it was from someone in North America. We're not particularly religious in this part of the world, but um, yeah, I was like, wow. Okay. That's really hardcore. Yeah. We're, it's wrong. I, yeah. It's wrong to I, want. I've written an article about this and what my findings are around people that don't have desires in or outside the bedroom. So, you know, low feelings of self-worth because you're not worthy enough to have them. Um, You don't, you don't prioritize things like self-care. And like you said, we have a a mentality um, in society of a race to the bottom. Like I had it worse Yeah. because, you know, when you talk about how difficult things are now, for example, for millennials, you always get the older generation who say, yeah, but we had it worse because of X, Y, and Z, rather than, I know it's really bad. How can we make it better? You know, so yeah, how yeah, can yeah. we make things better? It's like, you know, well, you need to struggle because I struggled. And it's... Absolutely. And that is... Re- yeah, that's where we become our... Um, I call it like the frogs pushing everyone down in the bucket syndrome. So it's like some frogs climb to the top and then when they get to the top, all the other frogs are climbing up behind it and they're just kicking them down as they... But that's actually what we're doing. We're not, instead of saying, oh, I, you know, I'm going to support you, I'm going to mentor you, I'm going to help you from what I learned. It's like, well, tough. We have to do it the hard way. You can do it too. And what you'll see as well um, with the women that you work with, that, um, and I, you know, use this sort of phrase quite often, when you shine your light, you're giving other people permission to shine their light too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important to, yeah, give people that support, give themselves those those dreams and desires you know because when I've supported a man and he's you know gone through sort of the the, the process and coming out the other side and he has his desires and they and they feel so um empowered um to be able to support themselves you know because they've got tools that they can then Mm -hmm. move forward with they you know say I'm going to tell my friends about this this is you know I feel really good and because they want other people to experience it. Because when you get to a place where you feel really good about yourself and you feel empowered, you want to share that with yes, everybody else. That's absolutely. the reason I went into coaching. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, yeah, I've had many men that I've worked with over the years. Like, yes, just the desires piece. So powerful. Oh my God, I feel so good being able to set a boundary, like a basic skill. Mm. 
We talked a little bit, you've talk, told me about um, hormonal changes in men, which I found really fascinating. So we, we assume that when the baby comes, we know that the mother's hormones go through a really big shift for breast milk to come in. Can you talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about what happens to male hormones? Because I think we all assume that there's no change there. It's just, you know, straight on sailing. And you educated me about that, which I found was really fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what actually happens? Yeah, so quite simply, the testosterone level um, drops. And the reason for that is to make men sort of not less aggressive, but a little bit more sort of mellow, um, because obviously with the baby. And what that means is it gives more space for oxytocin to come in. Mm. So an oxytocin, um, I think a lot of people are aware now that oxytocin is like the the, the love hormone. So that's, Mm. you know, when you connect to another human being and they say, you know, 20 seconds a day hug will be supportive to your oxytocin. Mm. You know, men previously would have had that connection and that oxytocin um, released by being with their partner. And, you know, when their testosterone lowers after birth with the anticipation of oxytocin and it doesn't happen, obviously that's going to affect them at a hormonal, hormonal and emotional level as well. Mm. but also it means that they need to be really really mindful of looking for that physical connection um it's important i think you know <clears throat> a lot of um people who are aware of parenting and 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 you know um the responsibilities we put on our children would say not to look for that from your children so not to use your children as a source of your own um looking looking for support looking for co-regulation yes it's better to get it from another adult so you yes. know rather than okay well let me hold the baby because that will help my oxytocin yeah because you're actually you know, supposed oxytocin- to be co-regulating the baby from a nervous system yeah. perspective yeah somatically yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it would be better to seek out either from your partner or you know if you've got friends that are open to giving you a hug for you know 20 seconds a few times a day or parents or you know, just somebody to, to give you access to that hormone base. Yeah, go on. But it, wouldn't it be, I'm just sort of thinking as you were talking and what's coming up as you were talking, so I was thinking, oh, well, that kind of makes sense in terms of bonding. Like we think of maternal bonding, but like the paternal bonding, that makes kind of perfect sense that, you know, from a physiological level that the testosterone would go down so your oxytocin can come in so you can bond with the child. So that's, is that right? Am I sort of making yeah, yeah. the right so, assumption? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to bond with the child, for sure. My sort of concern is that you're not using the baby if you're feeling you. like you need. Yeah. So for sure, the oxytocin is there to, 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 to get that, to create that bond with the baby. Um, also as well, to create the bond with the mother so that you're, you're able to be protective and supportive and loving towards her as well. Mm. So, you know, it's supporting um, both of them. And this is where the importance of communication really comes in and you know one of the things that I really um suggest quite early on with with um, people that I work with is just really simple mirroring exercises so just sort of setting a timer for five minutes for example and one of you goes first um and the other person repeats back how the speaker is feeling so if you're speaking you speak from a place of how you feel so not in any way blaming, it's mm. all about how, your own emotions and what you're experiencing. And you might say one sentence and then the listener will then repeat back that sentence 
Um, it just gives you an opportunity to talk about how you feel and really explore it. Mm. And also hearing somebody else say those things back to you feels really affirming. And then the person that's listening and repeating back for that person, they get to really understand what's happening because quite often when we're in conversation with somebody and they're talking to us, we're always thinking of a solution. We're always thinking of a reply. We're always in our heads thinking of what we're going to say next in, in response to that. Whereas if you're having to concentrate on what they're saying and using their language to mirror back, you're so much more present as to what they're actually saying. Yeah. And I always say, if anything, if anything comes up within that five minutes that has triggered you, not to discuss it within that five minutes, but maybe set a, de- a date, a time and a date um, that you can actually go through and discuss that. Just because, you know, that mirroring needs to be quite a sort of sacred space where people feel that they can really talk about how they feel without the fear of afterwards it causing, you know, potential argument or discussion. Yeah, and that that would be challenging, I imagine, for a lot of males because there's a certain part of their conditioning around having to solve problems. So, it's a new skill that they're having to learn around actually just holding space and listening and to cultivate permission within themselves that they don't actually have to do anything. They just have to listen. Yeah. And, and feel that's safe, a massive one. To feel safe to be able to do that. That's a massive one. And also, as you were saying that, another thing that I was thinking of was, um, oh, gosh, it's literally just left my mind regarding the talking Oh, I can't remember. I'm sure it'll come back to me. But yeah, um, that that need to, to interact in a really respectful way is um, it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. There's some beautiful tantric practices, communications practices for couples that I use um, that are really good in building that skill. But like you say, it's sort of stuff that we don't really learn. The other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking just in terms of dynamics is um, you know how when the new baby comes in, all of a sudden our family of origin dynamics get exposed. So it's all the stuff that we have been blind to or unconscious to that we project out and it comes on both sides. And um, I've had many women in particular that I've coached over the years where they're like, oh, my God, what's going on with my partner? Like, who the hell is he? I don't even know who he is. I'm like, oh, it's just this. That's what it is. Actually, what you need to do is work out, you know, consciously, like, well, what are our own principles and values and what's important to us? Do you see that happen a lot in the conversations that you're, in your coaching conversations with the guys? Yeah, because um, what, what your goals are pre-baby are completely different afterwards. You know, pre-baby, you're probably, the thing that you're thinking of most is like your next holiday or adventure or you know, the things that you're going to do together as a couple. And then when you have a baby, you're having to think about really, really practical things like saving for the future and have I got a will? You know, what What if we both die? Who's going to Who's going to look after the child? You know, is it going to be your parents or your siblings or, or you know, and then you start to think, oh gosh, <laughs> who can I leave the baby to? So, you know, all of these um, different things can 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 come up and, and it creates a whole new sense of what's important to me as an individual and you know the way that I want the child to be brought up and it it can bring up lots of discussions and if if people haven't done a lot of their exploring of their own childhood um you know there are so many different ways that people can react so some people can be like oh my gosh I 
don't want my children to have the experience that I did. So we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Some people are oblivious to how their childhood has affected them. And they will say, you know, I was smacked as a child and I'm all right. And that's, you know, that's not affected me. And, you know, and there's somebody that the moment that you try to have a discussion about something, they, you know, completely withdraw, get angry and, you know, storm out of the room because they're not being taught to manage their own emotions you know they're yeah. not being to, how to regulate them sorry so um so yeah it's it, it, it's really interesting to see how all these new values come come up things that they probably hadn't considered you know right when they decided to to get together um and little, I think that's there's why little it awareness of it for most people I mean yeah, I, I, think I remember we, with us like this is stuff you don't even think about it just comes up and so, yeah. so yeah, so little support or guidance or yeah, who do you talk to about this stuff? And, and I think, um, actually, I did a podcast on matrescence last year with Belinda Hahn, who's a colleague who works in that space. And she said that one thing that she notices um, with a lot of new mums is when they get together in the group, they just talk mostly about the baby's needs not actually how am I feeling? Um, and, and she said, because I said to her, you know, it's interesting how we've been kind of sold this story culturally. Um, we call it because we have Huggies is a nappy brand in Australia, like the Huggies picture of the perfect family, but that, that both of you can be feeling really angry, really sad, frustrated, obviously exhausted and there's a lot of internal dissonance going on because you get these cultural messages that like this is the most joyful incredible experience of your life and it is right but how 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 is it that we're feeling that but we're also feeling this and the shame and that, that a lot of people experience and mothers so I know mothers feel it and I'm I know males feel it as well so what tell us a little bit about your experience of that in the people that you work with Yes. And that comes back to the whole guilt thing, because, you know, you know that you should be really happy that you've got the like for me, financially, we had the opportunity for me to stay at home. I didn't need to go and work. So, you know, I should be really happy that I can spend 24 seven with my children, you know, and this reading on a, my understanding at the time, because now I read it and I read attachment theory differently. So attachment theory is in bringing up a ch child. You know, back then for, for me, it was like, I need to be with them all the time for them to feel mm. attached and secure. Mm. And it's like, actually, I need to be emotionally, you know, Present. responsive. Yeah, exactly. So um, so for me, that was, uh, you know, part of my journey was realizing that, that actually I'm a better parent when I can remove myself, look after myself, give myself some space. And that just might mean, you know, sitting down and reading a book. It doesn't need to be anything really big. And when I was on my own self-development journey after coming back from Morocco, one of the things that I learned to do was pre-warn my children. I was going to sit down and have a coffee and, and, you know, not be disturbed for 15 minutes and I will let them know when I've finished. Mm -hmm. So I would go in, set them up, make them aware, you know, unlike everything, it took some time for them to understand, you know, because they come and they'd interrupt me and I would say, do you remember we just had a conversation? I'll come and let you know when I've finished. 
And then eventually they would get it. And, you know, now I can meditate twice a day. And if they see me sat there meditating, they walk in the room, they walk out because they know, oh, you know, I'm respecting mummy's space and Mm. I'm allowing her to meditate. And that's important for children to learn that as well, because they're learning that they can ask for those things. Yeah, that is so important and you have to model it. And also just that they can have some uh, privacy and just time for themselves just to kind of, you know, it's okay. I mean, I've got teenagers now. Like they spend a lot of time in their bedroom. So, but it, that, that's okay. And, you know, I don't have to be out doing stuff all the time. Yeah, we have to model it definitely, don't we? And then, yeah, and then with the men that, you know, the, the modeling, because the women tend to be like, they have like no self-care and no boundaries. And the men modeling is learning to talk to the children and communicate with them. So there was um, a documentary, it's on Amazon actually, and it's called The Work. And yeah. it's about, um, have you seen that one, Kelly? I haven't, I haven't. I, I would really recommend it. So it's men in high security prison um, in the United States. And they have, they're like rapists, armed robbers, really, really violent um, men. And they have men's circles and any gang sort of issues are, are left at the door. So when they walk into this space, it is, you know, in a way, all, all men are, are, are equal. You, you, you're yeah, all yeah. the same. Yeah. And they have men's circles and the men talk about, you know, they, they explore their inner child. They talk about, um, you know, things that happened in, in their past that they never really got the opportunity to process. And you'll see the men, you know, um, so, for example, one man who might be processing, there was a one man, for example, processing his um, sister's death. And the anger from that he, that he kept repressed, which eventually led to him, you know, committing certain crimes and, so there were a group of men holding on to him while he allowed himself to be angry. And another man was pretending to be somebody else. I can't remember how he was in relation to the death of the, of the man's sister. As a way for him to project that anger onto someone and really let it go. And I, I, they I were haven't seen that show, but I've seen that process done before. And, you know, one of the most interesting things that when you listen, and I don't think it was pointed out in the documentary, but what I noticed when I heard all of the men talking, that the biggest things for them were the fact that their own fathers were not present. And that mm. by present, some of them were fathers were in prison or the fathers weren't present emotionally or constantly dismissed them or weren't interested in them. So, you know, little boys really, really need their fathers. And I think fathers find it easier sometimes to connect to their daughters because they're allowed to have that affection and that intimacy, you know, because you can talk to girls and you, that's the way that you behave with girls. Yeah. Boys need that too. And that is so massive. And the lot, reason that a lot of men don't know how to relate to other men is because they've learned from their fathers that, you know, you don't have that that relationship where you can open up and talk to them openly about things it's about creating the disconnection instead um so, so yeah that's a would, good point yeah I'd, re- I'd really really recommend people watching that and you know the success of this program means that men are able to leave these situations and they don't commit cr- crime again because they've worked through and processed it they have gone on this journey themselves to really fully understand their own pains that They've worked it out of their nervous system. It, they don't need to be on attack or, you know, in some ways the attack is the defence. Um, and it, yeah, it just brings home how important the perspective is. what might be going on for them. Um, so interesting. 
Hey, we haven't really talked about um, desire, so sexual desire and how that can be affected when the baby comes in and how that impacts on intimacy and just sexuality between the couple in general. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so what I've seen in some situations with men is, you know, when they're present at the birth of um, their baby, what can, and this can be whether it's a vaginal birth or whether it's a cesarean. Yeah. When they are there and they're present, they want to help. They either see their partner in pain or they see her struggling. And, you know, as you said before yourself, Kelly, quite often, you know, men want to fix things and they want Mm -hmm. to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. I think a little bit we all do in society, but men have that as their go-to, don't Mm -hmm. they? Um, Because they're encouraged out of talking about their emotions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they are there. They want to help. They're probably in a situation of fight or flight because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this sense of worry and this sense of stress. And then they are rooted to the spot almost. No one is really aware of their presence because the doctors or midwives or obstetricians, they're all focusing on the mother mother and the baby. Um, And this can really affect um, how their nervous system in a way remembers either their partner, either the, the, the situation itself, the baby. And what I have seen, and you'll probably be able to explain this process somatically better than me because this is your sort of area um, of of training a lot more than the mind but you know what's happening is that the body is remembering the feelings and sensations and emotions and everything that's coming up at that time and obviously our bodies remember these things to protect us from re-experiencing it in the future yeah Um, and also you've got the element as well of that if you're in a fight and flight situation, you don't have the opportunity to let it go or you can't meet someone for co-regulation afterwards from a hug, which you're not going to get that from men, are you? It's literally the birth happens, baby arrives, support mum. And from there, the, the men just continue to, to in some way run. They never actually have time to process what's yeah. happened. They're running around yeah. supporting mum. They need to go and get vitamins. They need to get this. They need to get, you know, um, a, a breast pump or formula or, you know, and it's constant running and constant do 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 and they don't have time to to process it they don't have time to get a hug they don't have time to to work through it and they're holding on to all of that and that will affect or in some cases it can affect their desire so I've heard men talking about the fact that when they see their partner's cesarean scar that for themselves is a reminder of how they felt in that situation so it's not that they find the scar itself unattractive the scars are a reminder when they the see trigger. the scar. Yeah. Of oh my gosh, it, it, the body returns to how they felt in that moment. Yeah. Um, so um, just if you're listening, like the thing with trauma is it's not actually what happened to you; it's the imprint that it leaves on your nervous system when you're in a period of overwhelm, and you can get stuck. You know, trauma is on a spectrum. But basically you can get stuck on off, which is a sort of freeze response or stuck on on, which is the fight and flight. And I think what I'm hearing is you're talking about it. Um, if, you know, they're not able to take action and wanting to do things and they're like, like they're literally stuck, their legs can't move, can't they? So they're sort of, the legs need to move and to take action, but they're frozen. Yeah. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And so if, you're one of those people, you can absolutely work through that with someone who does somatic experiencing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this, so people that come to me, 
Um, and if they have, you know, if, if through exploration, we find that this is something that be happening, I will send them to somatic experiencing practitioner and they work through that to process it. Well, then we work through towards with me, obviously, as a coach working forward on yeah. how to reconnect to their desire and their intimacy with their partner. So, awesome. you know, so you can get the support on, on two levels. Because that, yeah, that, that re- you know, that's not my um, area of, of being able to support people with trauma. I'm trauma informed in my training. So, you know, I'm able to sort of see and recognize and use the language to be supportive. But I can't with that, I can't support someone in that process. That would be something that they do alongside um, the coaching that I would do with them around, you know, then re-establishing that desire so mm. um so yeah but the way that you explained it is 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 exactly that it's either the freeze response or they continue with the with, with, with the feeling of needing to run as well you know that that sense of um and that's where for example the anxiety can come up you know mm-hmm. that men can get irritable because they are feeling constantly on the move and and you know you might get men working a lot because they need to be constantly active and doing things and yeah. in a way distracting or, or working, themselves. working out a lot, like exercising a lot or doing, you know, just activities that just keep them, yeah, away from that space and or the trigger essentially. But it doesn't have to be something that's forever. You, you can absolutely work through it. Yeah, there's so many great processes out there now that are not talk therapy and it's important I think with trauma that people understand that you know talk therapy is not the most appropriate um solution although talk therapy is great yeah because because actually and this is what somatic experiencing does because the because it works at it imprints at the level of the nervous system then the appropriate intervention is to work at the level of the nervous system and to work with the natural physiology of the body um, so we're really talking to the primal part of the brain where this all happens. It's, yeah, it's not grueling. Like people think, oh, this, you know, it must be really grueling. And, you know, I speak from personal experience having um, gone through it myself when I had cancer, but also, I'm, you know, I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner in training. So it's not grueling. It's actually a really supportive and um, just kind of genius way of dealing with it. Yeah. Because it is, like you say, it's trapped in the body. And the thing is with sometimes with talk therapy, I I think the way that I tend to describe it, at least for myself, is, you know, talk therapy is great. If you need someone to talk about a a particular problem, you just need to, you know, let let, let it all out. You need to just express it. And if you don't have anyone that you can do that with, then talk therapy is great. So, you know, there are starting to be men's groups where just men get together and they can just talk about their feelings, which, you know, if you're a father, it's especially important to go to because you will be very likely afraid to, to do that to your partner so that you're not upsetting her. So just going somewhere and just being able to literally let it all out is really important if you don't have access to that mm. however you know it's not going to process something that your body remembers and mm. you know that's that's the point when you're in the birth um you know in the birthing room your body is remembering everything mm. um and then your body is is what's going to react or you know um not react let's say as you move forward um and you know so you can get men that um 
so they lose their desire but also they can um struggle with erections as well mm. so after they've um, been present at the birth and it's you know people think it's because of seeing a, a swollen vagina and all the blood and it it's you know more often than not it's not that at all it's mm. the feelings that they experience at while they point. were at the birth yeah 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 it's not the story it's just the overwhelm in the moment Oh, that's been a really good conversation. Is there anything that um, that you want to finish up with that I haven't explored? Like any sort of final thoughts that you want to leave with men who might be listening and, you know, where can they take action? And what, Any words yeah. of encouragement, I guess? Yeah, so I think, the, you know, sometimes I think for, for men it can feel really validating just to actually have something be named so I think sometimes just listening to having listened to this conversation can feel like oh my gosh I'm not the only one and you know when when men read my website they always one of the first things that they say is it really resonated with me like everything Mm. that you said just really you know with some they'll say you know that the birth aspects resonated and some men will say you know that that didn't happen to me but everything else just feels so in line so I think just taking a moment, first of all, just to acknowledge your own experience and maybe Mm. think about how you behave and how you react to situations. And then looking, you know, what do you want to explore moving forward if it's related to the actual, um, if you believe that your body, because it's not a cognitive thing, if you believe that your body has experienced trauma through the birth, then seeking support somatically through that. So, you know, with somebody like yourself, Kelly. Um, And then... If it's something that it's a little bit more patterns are ingrained. So, you know, maybe it's something that you brought forward from your childhood with stories of I'm not good enough or, or, you know, I'm not considered or I'm not important in this family anymore. So if you find that you have these sorts of stories in your head, then obviously the sort of coaching that I do can be really, really supportive in working through those stories and creating new narratives moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important. And, you know, if there's any males listening and you think, oh, just put it off because I've just got to get this through this stage in my job or I've just got to save this money to do that, that is resistance. And if you are feeling this way, go and take action. Go and contact Carla. Go and do something about it because we can just keep putting off stuff and putting off stuff and putting off stuff. Before you know it, you're in midlife, which is really freaking challenging. That's where I work a lot of the time. And, you know, <laughs> things can blow up, right, really, really quickly. So I think there can be an inclination to go and put all the, you know, if I just do this at work or if I just save this amount of money or if I just do this, do it now. Do it and now. Another one that I hear is, oh, you know, things will get better when the kids are older. So some people think that that's going to happen as well. Like, well, it's just because the kids are young. You know, we, we don't have time for ourselves now because the kids are young. But the thing is, you're pulling further and further and further apart. But by the time that the kids are older, because the men that, a lot who of the men you? that come to yeah. me. You're like, who are well, you? You're like ships in the night. And they're on the brink of divorce. The children are older. They're on the brink of divorce because, you know, and some of them have tried couples therapy. And this is something that I wanted to point out because a lot of men will go to couples therapy. And because it's that mother and son dynamic and the men appear to be creating the problem where they're not because it's a dynamic. And, you know, and I put my hand up and say, 
in my relationship with my husband, I was also responsible for my behaviors. If we had gone to couples therapy, it's likely he would have been blamed. And men are finding that in couples therapy, they tend to get blamed for that. So they're really resistant to going to seek support because they think I'm going to get blamed again. And, you know, there are people out there that totally understand your situation and are there to support you and you're not going to get blamed. You just need to find the right person that is able to listen to you and hold space for you. Hold space for you, help coach you, give you lots of great tools that you can use in your relationship, but also in the workplace as well. Because when you work on the relationship with yourself, it impacts every single relationship in your life, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, And, you know, quite quite often when men come to me they start to look at also the relationship to their body so they'll start you know eating more healthily and going to the gym and just generally take more care of themselves because they start showing themselves more respect by having boundaries they're like well you know it becomes like a a full shift because they're, they're really recognizing the importance of their whole self and not just you know, their their feelings and their needs, it becomes important in everything. And you really do, like you say, you begin to evaluate things as well. You begin to think, well, do I want to spend that much time at work? Actually, now that I'm feeling better about myself and my relationship's better with my partner, you know, how important is that in the big scheme of things to spend all of my time at work? And it can really shift your work-life balance. And it's, yeah, like you said, it affects everything, all of your relationships including ones with your parents you know I get sometimes um comments from clients that say you know the work that we've done now also affects my relationship with my parents because I'm placing boundaries and I'm asking for them to 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 speak in with with me in a a different way and they've had to adapt to that and yeah literally it's a ripple effect everywhere it's brilliant so glad you're doing this work how can people Thank find you. you, Carla? Tell us about your website and your social media and stuff like that, which I will put in the show notes also. Yeah. Thank you. So I do have social media. I don't really post very often on it because I talk about, well, I, you know, do talk about sex and I get shadow banned for it. So, I'm, you know, I'm not going to fight against something that doesn't really want me there. So um, I've got quite a lot of articles on my website um, and also, you know, um, videos and podcasts that I've been interviewed on for people to, to hear more information about the work that I do. And my website is www.carlacrivaro.com. Beautiful. Um, my, uh, you can pop my Instagram stuff on there as well. But like I said, it's not, there's not a lot of it. Not so, super um, popular. If you just want to check that I exist. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming. I think this is like, this is probably one of the first male focused conversations I've had since I've started this podcast and I intend to do more, but I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I think that, yeah, there's, I've just never, there's just no one doing work in this space apart from, I'm sure there are, and I don't know about them, but um, it's just not talked about. And I think it's so important. So important. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly.